Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. This weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with a German-born woman who, as a young girl, lived in war-torn Germany and survived the harrowing experience of World War II, Miss Edith Ropke. Did I say that right, Ropke? Yes, you did. Ropke. 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 If you say it in German, it's Ropke. Ropke. I'll try to remember that. <laughs> she has a lovely German accent, Ropke. With her is a longtime friend, Miss Cecilia Wilson, an author with an insatiable appetite for the stories of World War II and who has written the book Back to Bremen about Edith's childhood and what a childhood it was. Through the eyes of a child, Edith tells her story of nightly raids, Bomb shelters, sleeping in her clothes, shoes ready, sleeping outside, and walking, hungry, with her seven siblings across Germany. Also about the silence that had to be kept, about the children and families that disappeared, about her father who, for lack of a better word, was abducted one night at dinner to serve in the Nazi army, and how, not long after, her eldest brother, Gunter, was taken and recruited as a Nazi youth. Today we will speak with Miss Cecilia Wilson about writing the book, Back to Bremen, about her life as a preacher's wife and contributing reporter to Arkansas Searcy Living Magazine, and with Frau Edith Rupke about her German family's journey and her mother's courage and self-determination that kept her eight children safe, fed, and together as they walked, rode, and scurried across bombed-out Germany. It is my pleasure to welcome to the table author, Miss Cecilia Wilson, and her protagonist, Miss Edith Ropke, of the book Back to Bremen. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. It's it's nice to be here, Carrie. Thank you so much for having us both. Oh, you're yes. so welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll tell our listeners that we had to wait till Edith got both of her shots, COVID <laughs> shots, before we got I together. Know. So, Edith, you have a lovely German accent. It's wonderful. Thank you. I could not put this book down and i want to tell our listeners it's back to bremen by cecilia wilson it is so good i highly recommend reading it as a mother i felt your mother i felt like i was walking in her shoes and as having once been a five-year-old girl and knowing how i don't know i when i was a five-year-old girl i felt always you know a little bit scared something would happen to my parents i mean i cannot imagine being a five-year-old girl doing all of that also so I, I, I walked in both of those uh characters shoes so um celia this book is written from the point of view of this five-year-old girl did you find it hard to write is that called first person um you know it it was interesting interesting that you would ask that because i started this book two or three different ways and then i would just think i've got to i've got to start over again this is not the voice i want to tell it in and finally it dawned on me that I needed to um, I needed to write it in Edith's voice as as this child because then as you said you as a reader could really understand the fear that she was going through she could talk about that so when I finally decided that's the voice that I need to write it in it it really came so easy after that but it, I, I think it's probably like anything you you have to experiment a little bit I started one direction and then well that's not going to work as well. When I finally realized Edith was the voice that I wanted to use, then it was it was simple after that. How long did it take you to write it? Uh, months, absolutely months. I uh, would go to Edith's house. We're, we're very good friends, and we live close beside one another in Cabot. I would go to her house and interview her, and um, and then I would write a little at a time. She would help me edit it and make sure that I was kind of, you know, on track with... Ac- accurate. With, uh, yes, with accuracy, absolutely. Um, so it was months and months uh, in in writing it, and then as I and I speak to a lot of different school groups, and and I'm always reminded by the teachers to remind the kids that this is a, an ongoing process. You don't write it; it's done, and that's it. You can put it to bed. Um, editing is constant. I mean, you know, she was my first editor. I let my daughter be my second um, because it's got to be 
pretty nice and clean before you get it to a prospective publisher. Uh, obviously, if you don't have a good product before you uh, put it in front of them, they're not even going to give you the time of day. So I knew it needed to be, you know, pretty clean by the time I got it to prospective publishers as I was doing submissions. Um, and then what's funny is, is once I finally found a publisher, one of the first things they did was assign another editor. <laughs> so we go through the whole process again. Uh, but even though that's a lot of work, I can absolutely tell you this was a labor of love. Loved every bit of it. Matter of fact, my publisher uh, assigned an editor to me from uh, Missouri State University. And he laughed at me and he said, what is wrong with you? I have never seen an editor who loved the, I mean, uh, an author who loves the editing process. And I said, well, to me, that's just part of, of, of making this whole read better for the readers. So it's just it's part of the fun. Even though it's work, it's part of the fun. So, is this your first book? Uh, it's not my first book to have written. It's my, it is my first book to have been published. And then I've, I've, I'm the feature writer for Cersei Living, which I've been doing for, I don't know, 20 years or so. So I've had plenty of practice writing. But writing a book is certainly, and particularly one about a, a true story, is, is um, you know, it, there's, it's a process. Definitely, it is a process. Yeah, it's a long. It's 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 you you know writing a short story or for a mm-hmm. magazine. It's you start it, you finish it. Right. I'm not sure how you ever put all those pieces of paper together to do it. Did you use Scrivener or some piece of software? Uh, no, actually, good old Word. <laughs> I mean, that's all I did. You know, and and to to get my notes, I just made notes. Uh, I taped a lot with Edith. I knew Edith's story in particular very well because um, I've known Edith for 20 years. So I've written about her story. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I have written it in, in article format for magazines uh, several times over the years. S- but as you said, uh, an article is a shortened version of a story. You can hit the highlights, and that's about it. Um, so I thought I knew the story. Mm-hmm. But when we got down to writing this uh, you know, book, I realized you know, I, there was a lot of detail that, that certainly was missing in an article. And what was so much fun about doing a more in-depth interview with Edith for the book was I realized just how much more rich this story was. This is, this is, I say this all the time, this is a story about Edith's childhood, certainly. But what I realized when I interviewed her for the book was this is actually a story about her mother. Her it is. mother, it absolutely, is. it is. It it she is the heroine of the story, mm-hmm. and what I love about her being the heroine of the story is the fact that she's not some you know popular celebrity. She's she's not anything extraordinary other than a mother. She's extraordinary. Well, she is. Oh, yeah. She is. But Come but to find out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, the point is, is that um, we all are. Yes, and, and and what I like about that is, and again, when I'm speaking to, to groups, particularly to young people, I like to tell them, uh, hey, personally, I, I could never aspire to be Beyonce or Tom Brady, but now I've got someone that I can point to you in Martha Rupka. I can aspire to be a great mother. Mm-hmm. I can aspire to do the things that she did uh, that were, in my mind, so heroic, Um and and she wasn't necessarily a hero to anyone but but her family. But, man, at the end of the day, if you can say that, mm-hmm. what a successful life you've had. Mm-hmm. That's right. Before we get into Edith's life story, uh, tell me how the two of y'all met. Well, um, that's my— That's a long story. That's a long story. Well, I'll shorten it. How about that? Um, my husband is a Baptist minister, as well as being an estate planning attorney, but he's a Baptist minister— um, he Those ex- don't go together, do they? Yeah. Oh no, they go together perfectly. You got to plan it all for when you're gone. Oh, it's and then he's still around. There you go. Yeah. Right. He did our estate. He did. Oh, okay. uh, that is right. You're preparing for the afterlife in all uh, while you're here. Uh, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh huh. It's it, financially it has and spiritually. Financially and spiritually, it really does. You're you're feeding the soul in different ways. Mm-hmm. You really are. Okay. And, and we met. We met. He he uh, accepted this this church in uh, near Cabot. And um, the Harris's, Edith's married name is Harris, uh, she and her husband, Hank, uh, were members of our church. And so we've known each other for 
20, 25 years, something like that. So I've known her story that long and loved it ever since. What piqued your interest about it? How did you first get your interest piqued? Well, I'm a history buff. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I've, I've always I've always loved to write. And mainly what I do with Searcy Living, for instance, is interview people from all different walks of life, you know, senators or governors or first ladies or or just people with interesting stories. And everyone has an interesting story. They really do. Uh, so when I first heard Edith, and I think I was actually the first time I ever wrote it was just for a little newsletter for our church. So it was even shorter than a magazine oh, article. So that's it was how just you a few paragraphs. Yeah, I sat down and interviewed her, and I was amazed. Her husband Hank uh, is a long tall was a long tall Texan with a very deep voice. He was very impressive. With I, the perfect I loved name, him. Hank. Hank that. Harris. Hank Henry yeah. Henry Harris. They called him Hank, um, and he had an interesting story. Um, he matter of fact, they met because he was in the United States Air Force in the fifties, and they met in Germany. Mm-hmm. He brought her over here, mm-hmm. but um, it was Edith's story that just so stayed with me i love world war ii i never heard it. what i love about edith's story her mother's story is that it is such a different perspective you do hear the jewish holocaust stories and i'm thrilled they're out there right they are numerous but you don't often hear the stories of well what happened to just a regular german family how were they affected by the war well obviously they're affected particularly if you live in a city like bremen they're making warplanes and u-boats yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean they you know air raids were common obviously throughout those war years Mm -hmm. in in her childhood so i'd never really heard that perspective and i think it's a really interesting perspective that people need to hear right there's two sides like you said you can relate to so edith it's your turn. Cecilia told me you didn't necessarily think your story was worthy of a book. That's right. Why not? I, nobody wanted to read that. They just, you know, I mean, there's so much out there about World War II. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, people are probably tired of it. When did you change your mind? After my husband <laughs> passed. When was that? In 11. 2011 13 2013 13 so yeah. so uh see you kind of beat up on you long enough till you finally said okay okay we'll write a book she twisted like i said she twisted my arm and, and twisted it and she bugged me about it <laughs> lovingly <laughs> lovingly lovingly bugged her about <laughs> and, it and after that my husband passed in october and then right after the holidays she approached me again her and her daughter, we got to do this book. I said, no way. Because I had a lot of offers before people asked me to, you know, to tell the story and they would write about it. But I always turned them down. I said, no. She won. <laughs> so a lot of people have asked you about this story. Asked you to- oh, yeah. I used to work at the airbase. There was this one supervisor. She- Joan was her name, and she said, we got to write your story. we got to write your book. I said, no, Joan, no, we're not going to do that. You changed your mind. So it's this book, I feel like, is almost a love letter to your mother, and Sia kind of mentioned yeah. that. Uh, it's a book of prose paying homage to your mother that later, as an adult, you probably recognize that as you look back. Yes. Talk about looking <clears throat> back on your mother and... What you thought? Well, you know, as a child, you know, you just go with the flow. You know, we had to do what we were told, but I didn't realize till later on till I, you know. So you became a mother? Yes. Then I realized, I don't know if I would go be able to go through with this. You really um, recognize how hard it was as you become a... Yes. So this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Miss Cecilia Wilson, author of the nonfiction book, Back to Bremen, a memoir written through the eyes of a five-year-old German girl who survived the war-torn years of World War II under Nazi-ruled Germany. Joining Cecilia is her friend and the book's protagonist, Fraulein Edith Rupka. Still to come, Edith's journey, how her German mother, Marta, risked it all through air raids, 
capture, and the cruelties of the Third Reich to keep her eight children safe, fed, and together as they walked, rode, and scurried across bombed-out Germany under the rule of a madman, Adolf Hitler. Danke, Marta. Thanks, Mom. We'll be back. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into this very radio show and podcast. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting, inspiring, and educational. Stay up to date by going to flagandbanner.com and joining our email list. You'll receive our popular Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at flagandbanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. TheFlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Miss Cecilia Wilson, author of the nonfiction book, Back to Bremen. And with her is Miss Edith Rupka. It is Edith's real-life and harrowing true story that is told in this memoir through the eyes of a five-year-old girl living in Germany during World War II. Let's start. You started, Cecilia, with chapter in chapter one called The End of the Road. It's actually, the book begins at the war's end in 1945. Why start the book at the end and then go backwards? I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think as an author, you know that, uh, and I'm this way when I read, you, you like to have a hook. You want to immediately pique someone's interest. So I really debated part of part of the debate that I, you know, the internal debate that I was having, where do I start? Do I start as in chapter two? I believe I start with 1939 and then begin because it takes about a decade. This this book does. Um, I love this particular story that I start with. Uh, It is a story about Edith and uh, her brother uh, Carl Hines they're uh, hungry they're on the road back to Bremen hence the title of the book back to Bremen Um, and they steal some bread I just thought it was a compelling story a little a little light uh, lighthearted in the midst of everything all the chaos that's going on Uh, I just thought it was a great place to start and really kind of helped I thought introduce you to all the characters so when it, when it dawned on me that's where I wanted to start I was so excited I couldn't wait to write that first chapter because I just thought that was a great place to start and then you could backtrack you've been introduced mm-hmm. to the characters and then you can get back to the beginning mm-hmm. and, and and I like that as a reader too I, I I I've struggled with some books sometimes when I read them and you're you know that you're going through that process of having to get to know everyone. So I thought this was a good way to not only introduce you to their names, but here's a little example of their personality. So that didn't too. come from an editor. That was your idea. Oh no, no, no. That was me. That was that a was great me. idea. Thanks. And so chapter Thanks. two, you you titled it and so it began in nineteen thirty nine. Edith, you start talking about sleeping in your clothes, running for bomb shelters every night. Tell us about that. Well, we started in 39, September, when my dad was having supper at the dining room table in the kitchen, and these two Gestapos came in and got my dad. They said, you're the war. That's the last time we saw him for a long time, probably a couple of years or more. How did that feel? You're just sitting yeah, there at the table. I know. We was having all supper there. We had our dinner. So my mom was by herself with us. So what was it like sleeping in bed with all of your sisters? Because the boys slept together and the bo- girls slept together and you yes. slept in your clothes with we your shoes. We had one the big metal bed, but we always had to be dressed because the sirens went off all the time. You never know when they're going to go off. and You had to go to bunker. 
So at, at night, we just went to bed with our clothes on, had our shoes in front of the bed. And we all slept, like I said, in one bed. That's all we had. So but, one day on the way running to a bomb shelter, your mother fell. Yes. Tell us about that. There was no lights, no electricity, no nothing. And our house was like over this way. And the bunker was right in the center on the house. So we had we didn't have that far to run. But we was running because the sirens already went off and we had to be in there. You only have a limited amount of time to get there, yes, right? That's right. And then they shut the door and it's locked and, and if you're yes. out, you're out. Yes. But she fell and that's what she had to my youngest brother. She fell on the street. She had it and there was no doctor, no nothing. Eight months pregnant. She yeah. fell, and you went on to the bunker. We went to the bunker. We didn't want to go. So why did you leave her? Well, they made us go. The people in the street? Yes. The neighbors, you along. The and... neighbors and strangers, and they all took care of us, my mama. And we didn't know till it was all over with what happened. So you were in the bunker all night, or how long were you in the bunker waiting to find out what happened it to your mother? It usually takes all night, yes. What'd you do all night sitting in there? Tell us how you, you felt. Sit there, crying. And, and yeah, cry for mama, you know, and no daddy, no mama, no, no you know. So just with strangers in a cold place, and because those bunkers were cold. How many people would be in a bunker? The whole area where we live. You would stand up or sit down. No, there was benches in there to sit down on it. Yes. And so it's morning, so you're crying all night, waiting to get out to see what happened yes. to your mother, and you come out, and what happened? We found out we had a brother. <laughs> That's so crazy. It is. I know. Oh, so crazy. And we want to know where he, where he came from. <laughs> <laughs> because he told us the story but the stork, you know. <laughs> there was sugar on the windowsill. Oh, and, my gosh. You know, the old-timey story. <sighs> and my mom used to say that. Because when we asked her, because she had babies all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, she did go to the hospital. The house we lived in was bombed three times. And this, this time it got bombed. And she was in the house, but no water, no electricity, no nothing. So you took the baby back to your bombed out house? Yes. How did you, did you repair uh, the windows? She had a, uh, she didn't have a doctor. She had one of those midwives. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what she had. So when you come out of the shelter and the, are there dead people laying around on the street? Oh, yes. You just go, you know, you step and you're not allowed to touch them or check on them because you wasn't allowed to touch them, make sure they're okay or something. But we figured most of them were dead anyway. So these are people yeah. that were running to the bomb shelter that didn't get in in time. That's right. That's and, right. And so your mother's out there this and one all night. all ages, kids, grown-ups. So. Do you have bad dreams about that? Sometimes I do. Not that often, no. So what do you think when you come out and, and do you just become numb to it, I guess? We didn't know any different at that time because it was whole six years. We just had to go. What we was told. Just do what you're told. Thank you, yes. Marta. Um, so you go to your house to see if it's been bombed every every morning you come out. Or practically, it got to where it was almost every night, didn't it? Oh, every day, yes. Every day. And you yes. come and you come to, back to your house to see if it's still standing. And usually the windows are blown out. Oh, yeah. There's always damage. <clears throat> and how do you repair that? You don't. You just live there. Like, they just clean up. I remember people cleaning up the what they could because there was, I mean, what can you do when the bomb comes, you know? And the Americans were daytime bombers, but the English were at night. Oh, really? Yes. So we had day and night. Bremen was destroyed. Yes. Completely it destroyed. Was. I mean, yes. Why was it such a target for everyone? Well, because it was a port, main huh. port, 
all the ships come from overseas, and they had the factories there, the U-boats and stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And then Bremerhaven, which is the sister city, was about 15 minutes apart. In Hamburg, Germany, there were all three of them were main ports. They got bombed all the time. I mean, there was nothing left. It's amazing that your mother had this baby in the street. I know. And then goes home with it. And that baby is fine. Is that baby still, is your little sister, or is it a little brother or a little sister? Brother. Is he still alive? No, he passed away last year. So, I mean, he lived all this time yes. in, well, when the in a minute when the listeners hear all that you did, it's going to be amazing. Any of y'all are alive. But let's talk about your dad. Let's yeah. talk about your dad. Uh, he was a, an only child. Is that why he wanted so many children? I don't know. Was your mother an only child? No, she had one brother. We had one uncle. And he passed away. He was painting the house, my grandparents' house. And he was painting the outside the house. They had a bomb attack. That's how he got killed, her only brother. Mm-hmm. So there was nobody left. She was the only one that survived. That was in 44. Right before the end of the war, pretty close to the end of the war. August of 44. 44, yes. So also, not long after your father was drafted into the Nazi uh, regime, your they showed up at your house? Yes. For your did. brother, for your oldest brother. And no, he, he was now the head of the family. Yeah, he was drafted. <clears throat> they just came, also came in and said, because... I guess they needed all the guys, you know, to fight the war. And they even took the younger ones, the teenagers, you know, because he was about 14. And he's the only one that really helped my mom with the rest of the kids, you know. Mm -hmm. They're all under 12, except for him. Yes. So he's now the man of the household. Yes. Gets a rap on the door. Nazis come in and say, all right, Nazi youth, come on. She's like, what does your mother think now? What am I going to do? Just go on and do the best you can. Yeah, she's a hero. Mm -hmm. All right, this is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Miss Cecilia Wilson, author of the memoir and inspiring true story, Back to Bremen, and the leading lady in the book, Frau Edith Ropke, the once five-year-old little German girl who, with her brothers and sisters, lived through the war-torn years of World War II under Nazi rule and the ruinous behavior of a madman, Adolf Hitler, in his quest to create Aryan utopia. When we come back, we're going to talk about having to leave Bremen and where they were evacuated to. We'll be back after the break. You know, at the very beginning of every Up In Your Business interview with Carrie McCoy, we tell you all the different places you can hear the show after it's been recorded. Sometimes you may get so engrossed in the program, you miss that list. Well, here it is for you now to concentrate on. All UIYB past and present interviews are available at Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's YouTube channel, Facebook page, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette's digital version, flagandbanner.com's website, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just ask your smart speaker to play Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Edith Rupke. Good effort. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also known as today, Edith Harris, her maiden name, and Miss Cecilia Wilson, star and author, respectively, of the nonfiction book, Back to Bremen. Edith's real life and harrowing true story is told in this memoir through her eyes as a five-year-old girl living in Germany during World War II. All right. You are about to be evacuated from Bremen, a a um, it's a, a port city that's just getting bombed in the day by the Americans and bombed by the English at night. People are laying around all over the street when you come out of the bomb shelters, and you're just stepping over them. There's there's glass everywhere. I, re- I remember reading in the book. You didn't say that earlier, but all that other stuff that I just mentioned, you did talk about in the earlier section. But I do remember reading in the book that. You couldn't play outside because there was That's too much, true. too dangerous. Yes. Did, we didn't have no childhood. I mean, if we couldn't do anything, what a child, you know, like you said, we couldn't go outside. 
And not just because of the bombing, but because of the glass and the debris and to get cut exactly. and stuff like that. And the bodies, you know, it took time to get rid of the bodies. Did it smell bad? Oh, yes, it did. Yes. Ugh. All right. They have come. The Nazis have come and said, everybody has got to live Bremen. And they relocate you. Yes. Now, this, Anybody, especially the large family. They relocated you? Yes. So they tell you, do they do they pay for you to move all your stuff, or oh, how do yeah. they do? How do they do these relocations when they're going to evacuate a city? How do they do well, it? Well, whatever was left in our house, <clears throat> we they ship to Cromham stuff. Yeah, don't ask me to say that. I'll just tell everybody it's right outside of Dresden, the beautiful city of Dresden. Well, she used to say crummy, crummy, crummy. That's yeah, it's <laughs> so long. Say it again. Come help stuff. Okay, what's funny about that? There's only like three vowels in it. Come help stuff. That's not that hard. But it's like 29 letters. Letters. But it's outside of Dresden. Dresden. If you all know Dresden, because they got the China, that's the most expensive China you can get. And so we used to go to Dresden by train. We went to the opera house, to the zoo, and all that because Kromhamstorf is just a little village. So they've come and they're going to move you. They yes. tell you to pack up your stuff. They yes. put you on a train. Yes. Give you an address, I guess. Yes. Your mother takes her whole brood of children under 12. Now she's down to seven because the oldest one has been taken into the Nazi youth, has been uh, drafted into the Nazi youth. Um. And you go to live, and you pull up in front of this house, and it's beautiful. And what do you think? It's a, we couldn't believe it, <clears throat> but we'd have to leave, live in our attic. Did you think at first, oh, I'm going to live in this beautiful house? We did, because they actually had red carpet going to the front door. Wow. But we had to go to the back door. We wasn't allowed to use the front door. Because you found out the house belonged to? A Nazi. Mm. Colonel Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. He had a wife and one son, and we wasn't allowed to play with his son. Like I said, we had to use the back door. We couldn't use the front doors. And uh, and back then, you always had to say, Hi, Hitler. Instead of good day or good evening, you had to raise your arm and say, Hi, Hitler. If you don't, they shoot you. And this is the honest truth. They shoot you first, ask questions later. Why were y'all not allowed to, you were not Jewish, why were you not allowed to play with the... Uh, the they wouldn't let us. Because you're, you're white he trash was, or he something? He was mean, <laughs> mean guy. Well, any Nazi, aren't they I, all? I would guess, you know, there was a... Classism. Social, yeah, yeah. A, absolutely. I, I think he felt like he was in a different stratosphere than this his wife family. Was really nice. She was nice to my mom and everything. You know, they became friends, not close friends, but friends. They would talk and stuff. And then one night, my sister, when my Helga is the, old, the oldest one, the girls, she went out one night, and then when she come home, she came the back way. And she came the front way, you mean? She came in the front door instead of the back door. Where she shouldn't have been. And he was in the hallway. She didn't salute him. Uh, so she went upstairs. And the next day, he would, my mom, he said, if you don't instruct your kids to say hi, Hitler, that he told her what happened the night before with Helga, that she didn't salute him. He said, you're never going to see her again. So we assumed, you know, he's going to kill her or drag her off somewhere. Your own countryman, isn't that interesting? Yeah. But they didn't? No. Because she, that was a warning. She instructed, she was at us all the time. She told say hi Hitler, mm-hmm. say hi Hitler. Because as a kid, we don't know why we had to say that, why we couldn't just say you know, good morning, Herr Pfeiffer, or, you know. Dresden was a beautiful city. It's an art city. Oh, it was good. And you could see it from the balcony of your attic yes. or from the window of your attic. 
On February 13, 45, there was the bombing of Britain. See, that's why they sent us to the East Germany, because the war wasn't that bad. So we stood on the balcony, and we saw these bombs fall. And they looked like Christmas tree. That's what they looked like. Christmas lights? Yes. I still have pictures in my mind. Of course, they had a big zoo. We wasn't allowed to go out because the, some of the animals were still loose. Lions? Yeah, it could have been anything. So, so we, after they bombed Dresden, they wouldn't let anyone go back in the city because the zoo animals had escaped. What a kind of but, crazy, random side effect. We wasn't allowed to leave the house mm-hmm. for two weeks until they found all the animals, what was left. You have a funny story in the book about your mother, and not you, but another, and I'm not going to tell this because... We're not going to tell the end of the story for the writer so that y'all will buy the book. Thank you, people. And I'm not going to tell the story about your dad either for the listeners. But, Edith, you did not go. But I will say it was an indiscretion. And your, <laughs> your mother caught the train with your older sister and went to try and find him and got there. And it was a weekend off. It broke my heart for your mother and your father. The chances of the timing of all of that were just so human and mm-hmm. so just, I don't know, I'm, y'all need to read it, but I'll tell you, Edith's dad got caught in an indiscretion, and it was it's heartbreaking to me. Yes. You've gone through so much. You make one mistake or two. Maybe, maybe you made a few more. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> well, she, but she surprised him. She it was surprised. Obviously. It was a, <laughs> yeah. it was a surprise. <laughs> And but just was, how heartbreaking, it, how disappointing I know. to make all that effort and to go there and then to have that disappointment. Yeah. And then and for him, to, the shame he felt from it all I also is just the whole thing. I'll so, tell you an interesting part mm-hmm, about uh, uh, mm-hmm. about that whole part of the book. Um, that was a part. You're right. An indiscretion. Edith was not keen on letting me write about that. Um. And I twisted her arm again. I did. There are a few things that I did respect her privacy on. It did not divulge. But um, oh, tell but me I, after the show. Will <laughs> but but I did tell her we need we need to tell this part of the story because it does explain later um, where her father winds up in the war. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. And so without that linchpin, you don't understand why he is at some point on the, the the front dresden gets bombed and they evacuate you guys again and the old mr colonel pfeiffer the mean nazi i don't know what happens to him do you i actually hired a british reporter living in germany to do some uh, research for me and she found out that apparently he was captured um and he was put into a camp where he did not survive, and this is by the Soviets. I, d- I don't know why he didn't survive. I suspect they may have been a little rough with him. I have no idea if I'm right on that, but I do know he was captured by the Soviets at the end of the war. So. Oh, you reap what you sow. You do. Yeah, wow. and, and, and that's, that's really gratifying. And we're all like, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> and, and, and here's a point too, Carrie. You, you had mentioned that um, end of the war, they bombed Dresden. Um, the Soviet Red Army, they hear, is coming in from the east. They're, at this point, the government is not involved. The Which German government? Gov- is, the German, the, the government. German government is not involved with them being trying to be evacuated back out. It's chaos. It's a free-for-all. It is. So it's your own personal responsibility, what you do with yourself now. Nobody's calling any shots here. So everything's falling apart. Absolutely. So yep. the Soviet Red Army's coming in. One side. They have... Um, gotten to know marta has gotten to know the burgermeister the mayor of the little village and he comes to tell her one night the soviet red army's coming in the war's coming to an end if you want to get back home you need to consider doing it so now this is to me really important this really shows the risk that this little typical german mother is willing to take she knows that she has only herself to rely on to get her children back home, if at, if at all possible. So she's the one that makes the decision, we're leaving in the middle of the night. 
you know, we're, we've got to Because leave. the Russians are going to... Uh, they're, they're, not, they're Germans, and so they're going to capture them and put them in a prison war camp. Exactly. No tell of what would happen well, to us. Right. And if he, you've heard he, a lot of the stories at the end of the war um, and, and pictures at the end of the war, um, real concerns about the retaliation for the earlier invasion of Russia. You've, you leave in the middle of the night, you're walking, yeah. and what's the first thing you do? Catch a train? Catch a, well, we took the train to Dresden, and then from Dresden on... There was no transportation. We had to walk. The war is about to be over. The Russians are coming in from the uh, east. east. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Americans, I guess, are in the west. Yes. And so you're looking for the Americans. Yes. God love the Americans. And uh, I remember reading that in the book. It's like every time you saw an American, you were like, it's an American. You know? I know. It's like the heroes. Uh, and then... Um, we're now on foot. We were captured by the Russians. Tell us about you. Your mother says, get up. You're in this, I guess, basically a prison war camp in the middle of a big gym, a makeshift prison war camp. And the Russians are standing guard around. But you've hooked up with two GI guys who say, and one of them's crippled. He's on crutches. Yep. And he says, we don't know what the future is for us here. It looks bleak. These Russians are not nice guys. Let's break out tonight when they're all asleep. Because they would go off and smoke cigarettes and drink. On yes. The, you know, just oh, like a yeah. bunch of dudes. And <laughs> uh-huh. you know, Something's 20, never changed. 20-year-old dudes. I mean, that's yeah, what they yeah. do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so your mother gets all seven of you kids up, tells you to be quiet, and you follow these two GI guys out, and you make it. Yeah. It's amazing. It took nine and a half weeks. And you and so you get out and you start hiding in bushes as you go along the road. We do, and you know I don't know if you ever see a World War movie. You crawl under the fence to get into the woods. We actually did that. While you're walking, you continue to talk about how the crowds in the street grew and grew and grew as you got closer to Bremen. And at night we had to sleep in the forest, you know, in the grass or whatever place. So uh, this is the last, probably the last thing I'm going to tell. Yep. I was going to talk about fr- the Frommeyer that got, that was your mother's friend. She had two sons and yep. y'all stayed together. And this yep. is when you realized what a good job Edith's mother, Marta, did because she had two teenage boys to keep up with. Your mother had seven children to keep up with. Yep. Only a few were teenagers. And, and, and they were in these massive crowds, the closer and closer you got to the city. And she lost one. Yes. And she never found out again. She went to the Red Cross, and uh, she never found out what happened. At that time, she didn't know her husband was dead, too. Oh, so the... she lost, you know, both of them. But, uh, and we're talking about just lost in a crowd, just like yes. turn around and, yes. hey, where's Peter? Yeah. And you're like, Peter, Peter, Peter. I mean, I've lost my children at... Uh, Disney World like that before. And by children, she means me. Twice. <laughs> he just wanders off. He I'm glad she found you. <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. I cannot imagine how Frommeyer felt. And then after they got back to Bremen, she was still searching to the Red Cross, but never found out what happened. Probably for years later, I'm guessing. Did you ever, you didn't hire, uh, Cecilia, you didn't hire anybody to find out? Uh, you know, him? I think that's um, one of the things that it, it's not even uh, a reality to be able to do that because there would be so many families in the same situation that I'm sure did their own research during the time. And I'm sure Frau Meyer did probably for years later through the Red Cross and just could not find anything. So I don't I don't think it would even be possible to, to do that type of research. Now, I, I and, and the only reason that I don't like giving the end away. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the end anymore. Yeah, the only, we're stopping right And the there. only reason I don't is because as a reader or in watching a movie, the worst thing in the world was my sister to tell me the ending of a movie. It's like, why did mm-hmm. you tell me that? So I, I really think it's important to leave something for the reader to under to, to, to wonder about, okay, what happened? How does how's this resolved? I do resolve everything for them, but I do, I will go as, I've, I've had children ask me this in, in classes. Of, well, no, did, did everyone stay together? And I said, well, let me just tell you this. Mm-hmm. When they get back to Bremen, 
you know, there is no home, there is no neighborhood. It's just demolished. You know, they're having to. Don't tell everybody, right? But I. But here's what I. Here's what I will tell people is that when they get back to Bremen, the family is not intact, and it takes several years before the story is resolved and you know what happens to everyone else and i think that's what i want to leave for the reader because i i think it is an amazing story and and i do like to wrap up those loose ends and do at at the end um but it it is an amazing story that does i think honestly read like a a, like a movie she did a terrific job she did a terrific job i tell you what i I know i did tell you the truth i never thought the book would go anywhere this is surprising (laughs) Well, let me just tell you, it may be a movie one day. I really believe it could be a movie one day. And if I was a producer, Big I'd time producer. Produce But I do know a few. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I have a Facebook author page and a website, so give me a call. It, it, is, it is absolutely, and I do mean this. I know I'm the author, so you expect me to say this, but this is a story I have known for 20 years. I absolutely love the story, mm-hmm. and I I really do love hearing from people that have read it and 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 oh. share with me what they think about it because I'm very passionate about it because it is a beautiful story and it's and it's true. That's what's so cool about it. That is what's cool about it. Um, yes. Where do, speaking of that, how do you buy the book? It is on. Um, you can go to Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. It's in you know e format or a paperback or hardcover. Um, Does somebody I have a, read it? Is there a audio? Is there an, an audio? There is audio? not an audio book. There is not an audio book. We we talked about doing one at one time, and nothing ever, you know, came of that. But but you can get it in more than one format. Um, Back to Bremen dot com is my Facebook. I mean, is my uh, website, and then I do have Cecilia Wilson author page on. on what's Facebook, Goodreads? So. What's the Goodreads? What does that mean when I? Uh, Goodreads is is a site that. You know, people go to and share books. And Isn't it kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes for books? Like it's a, uh, you talk about books and kind of sort of. Okay, yes. Gotcha. Well, you can Good go reads. read about it. Yes, there. yes, reads. exactly. So there's there's so plenty of ways to get it. Oh yeah, absolutely. They don't need to call you. They can, but they can absolutely go to these websites and get them much much faster and probably you know delivered it's, to them. Much Cecilia faster. Wilson is the author. Edith. Mm-hmm. Rupke, Rupke is the Edith Rupke. He's so good at it. I know. You're trying, Mom. It's okay. You're trying. I know. He's, he, he sounds like a German. <laughs> I like German school. And uh, and uh, uh, and now Edith Harris is her maiden name and uh, Mar- married name. Married name. Right. Sorry, married name. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, but yes, you can buy the book back to Bremen. Last question, Edith. Do you have any lasting irregularities from your experiences like sleeping with the light on, eating all the food on your plate? That is, when my kids grew up, I'm, they had to eat everything on their plate. <laughs> I said, we're not going to throw anything out. <laughs> and today I still do. Um, I bet you never go camping, do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't imagine wanting to go She's camping done if I that. slept outside yeah, right. for four years. She's right. done that. No, so. no, how do you... <laughs> no, my husband was a camper. I mean, he liked to, you know, fish and hunt and all that. He was born and raised in Texas, but he moved to Arkansas. And I didn't want to come to Arkansas. Because we lived in Colorado Springs. At the, oh. He was stationed at the Air Force Academy. I just loved that place. It's a beautiful I mean, place. Yes. The Garden of the Gods. But aren't you glad you came to Arkansas? But yeah. No, I'm here. <laughs> and she's been here for many And years, you met so. him in the war, after the war? Yes. Uh, the first part of 57. Yeah. How did you meet him 10 years later? Uh, I was working at the snack bar uh, on the base. Matter of fact, I just got that job to a friend of mine. In Bremerhaven. In Bremerhaven. My job was to do salads. So I was in the kitchen making the salad for lunch. So the supervisor came in, and he said, the girl on the grill called in sick. So he made me move to the front and work the grill. And he all these GIs coming in. 
I said, I can't do this. I said, I didn't know a fried egg on a grill or anything like that, <laughs> you know, breakfast, you know. So he said, oh, just put them on the grill, flip them over. He said, not, they don't know the difference. Did you speak English? I learned the English type. British. British. English. That's a little <laughs> bit. When did you learn that? In school. Oh, you did? After, yeah. after the war, more or less. Yes, yes. Uh, so everybody thought that I was English when I first came to the States. This has been a wonderful interview. I cannot thank you two ladies enough for coming in. You are just both wonderful people. Thanks for oh, thank thanks you for, for having, having us. No, we, we enjoyed it. Uh, we love, love talking about the story. Well, if I'd have known you were from Texas or from Colorado, I'd have given you a Texas and Colorado flag. But I did give you a desk set with a German oh. flag, a U.S. flag, and an Arkansas flag. Well, look oh. at it. Yeah, no, I saw that. That's, That's nice. for you. Thank and you. And Cecilia, you too get a German flag because you love World I War do. II. I do. Thank you so much. I never did I really. Love it. Y'all, I good. love it. I never did really ask you why you have such fascination with World War II, but why do you? You know, I've always loved history. Always. Um, throughout it is a fascinating school, part. It, it really is. And um, not, you know, I'm not just focused on World War II, but I really love World War II. It is a fascinating part of history. And it is true. They are the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. And I know your parents' story, and I'm in love with their story. And love I that. have a connection to that. I, I was mm-hmm. born and raised in Batesville, and your mother went to school in Batesville. She so was raised there, too. That's, that just makes me love that story. You know, I have a connection to that. So um, I don't know. There's just something about um, – I think that's why it's important for kids to study history. There's so much to learn. My goodness, we don't want to make the same mistakes, but hey, let's emulate what they did right. And Marta is a history lesson all in herself. Great place to end the show. In closing to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your life, your independence. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, gray, that's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple to help you live the American dream.